Proverbs 13, 24. This is a good one. A refusal to correct... The other ones are good too, I suppose. (laughs) A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. (laughs) Right, Joseph? Yeah, I like that one a lot. (laughs) You know... um, I want to make just a comment before we hop into today's message, too, about preaching styles, because uh, there are times that I'll come, and the first thing I'm going to do right out of the gate is read the text from today's, you know, from that day's message, and sometimes the text is a passage, sometimes it's a parable, and other times it may be several different scriptures. Last week, we had a lot of scriptures that we used. Other times, I'm going to come, and I'm going to spend some time building and uh, building a base and a background before we even get to the scripture. Now, that's new for me to not start with the scripture, okay? So uh, I, I, I just need you to know that I want you not to get tied to an expectation that, you know, there's some, maybe this is just for me, but sometimes I'm thinking, no, you've got to start with the word of God. You read it, then you pray over it, and then you go into it. And I'm thinking, okay, that's just tradition. It's not necessarily. So if we go a ways before we get into the word of God, don't, don't, wig, don't wig out on me. Because the messages that this church will, does and will always proclaim will be scriptural messages. There will always be a scriptural basis for what you do. So um, that's kind of my warning to you that the actual text for today's message is going to be down a ways into the message. It's going to be Luke 23. You can go there if you want, but we won't be getting into it for a little while. Every once in a while, I have a conversation with somebody, and they, you know, a, a non-Christian somebody, and they'll, they'll say, I got nothing against Christianity, but... There's got to be more than one way to get to heaven. There's just got to be one more. That is so narrow. Of all of the people on the earth, that whole idea that there's only one way, it's so narrow. And, and you know, I, I, today I want to talk a little bit about the premise. There is an underlying premise or idea that supports the concept that there's multiple ways to heaven. And I want to talk about more, more about that than the other because the, when we talk about the, the premise, then it's going to address the multiple issues. And, uh, you know... There, th- this other thing that, other, that, that it supports it is very common. I think I probably most people who say there's multiple paths believe this. And today I want to talk about that something else. It's, it's this, this idea that supports the notion that there are many pathways to heaven is this. Good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. Now that there may be some good people in heaven, I don't know. Let's decide that. Let's make that decision later. Okay, but let's spend a little bit of time. The idea is that not only good Christians go to heaven, but good fill-in-the-blank. Good Jewish people will be in heaven. Not just Catholic people, but good Catholic people will be in heaven. Not just some Buddhists will be in heaven, but the good Buddhists will be in heaven. In fact, you don't have to be associated with any religion at all. If you're a good person, you'll be in heaven. That's the underlying premise that says that there are lots of pathways to heaven. And, you know, there's a common denominator in that philosophy. The common denominator for all of these people is not their belief system. It's not who their God is. It's not how they pray. It's not how they worship. The common denominator is that they are good people. So, under that premise, God isn't limited to just one pathway for how he's going to get people into heaven. He's got all these options because the, the common denominator isn't what they worship, how they practice, what they believe. It's that they're good people. If I ask somebody, um, why would God let you into heaven? It's an interesting conversation. Um, If I have a conversation, even with a Christian, they'll say, well, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. And then there would become this shift 
in their answer. It's, it's, it's really common. I've asked a few people, guinea pigs. They didn't know, you know. But I didn't try any chemicals on them or anything. I just asked the question. There's always a shift, almost always is a shift. You know, I believe in God, and I, I have faith in the Lord, and I open my heart to Jesus, and then the and starts, and you get, and I'm trying hard, and I'm a good dad, and I'm trying to do the good things in the good book because I'm a good person and I'm going to go to a good heaven with a good God. It slips into our theology, or at least it slips into our words. There's this, I'm not perfect, but thing that gets tossed. By the way, you don't have to say that to people. They know you're not perfect, okay? Just, I know you're not perfect. You know I'm not, you can say you're not perfect, but anyway. So they say, I'm not perfect, but they'll tell you the things that they're doing. They'll tell you the things that they're trying to do and to be because somewhere embedded in this is constantly, we're bathed in this concept out there that good people are the ones that will go to heaven. The philosophy is kind of appealing. Here's why it's appealing, because I'm good. Come on, come on. Come on, it's appealing to you too, because you think, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. So, and the truth is, I don't think I've ever met anybody who seriously believes they're so bad they're going to hell. You know, no, I believe good people are going to heaven because I'm good. No, I've never met anybody who said, no, yeah, good people are going to heaven, but I'm not making it. I've not, not met that person. They're probably out there somewhere. It's interesting what Americans believe. There have been some Gallup polls and some belief net polls, and polls are polls, but they're interesting, some interesting numbers. Here's one for you. Um, 81% of Americans believe there is an actual physical heaven or spiritual heaven, 81%. 77% of Americans believe they're going there. So there's your small percentage of people, I guess, who think they aren't going to go to heaven. So 80%, almost the same number, believe they're going there. But get this, 79%, the same number again. We're going to call these almost the same number. Think that a person who is not of their religious faith can still go to heaven or attain salvation. It tells me that spread through our society is a very commonly embedded belief that good people go to heaven. I think it's been been, uh, the subject of books and and (laughs) it's been the subject of... TV programs. In fact, it's hit bumper stickers. You can see we got a bumper sticker here. Now, I have to tell you about the bumper sticker. I, um, um, it, it bothers me when I see it. <laughs> okay, now listen. Just before service started, I sent a spy into the parking lot to make sure that I wasn't going to step on anybody's <laughs> bumper. And we didn't see a coexist bumper sticker out there. Listen, I wouldn't think badly of a person who had this on their car. And if you've got one, please forgive me. I'm not pointing this at you. I'm assuming none of you do. If you do, you know, it's okay. But I would, it bothers me a little bit because for some reason I look at it and it's like the person is saying to me, if, saying to me, you're the problem. Terry, you're the problem. If you would just get along with these people, we'd have, you know, whatever we would have. And I thought, you know, I'm curious. Okay, what's, what's the story here on this bumper sticker? (laughs) <laughs> okay, so up you see the symbols. I'm just going to tell you what, this, what these symbols represent. Um, the first one is a C, obviously, and that's the symbol of Islam. A crescent moon with a star is a symbol of Islam. And you know how they feel about coexisting. Okay? <laughs> if you are any other symbol on this, they don't really have much theology for allowing for coexisting with you. Okay, the second one is pacifism. Pacifism isn't just, well, I wish we weren't at war. Pacifism, in this expression, is a theology. It's 
a belief in, in humanism. It's a belief that if we could all just get along and sort things out together, all the problems would go away. Okay, this, this, the next symbol, the E, is actually a symbol for gay rights. The next symbol is Judaism. You know what that is. The next symbol is an I, and it doesn't show up very clearly, but in the dot on the I, you can see a pentagram. This is a symbol for Wicca and paganism. The next one is Taoism and Confucianism, which is a yin and a yang. And then, of course, the last one is Christianity. And I don't know why I feel this way, but when I see the bumper sticker, maybe I'm being defensive, but I just feel like it's aimed at me because I'm a Christian. Now, they don't know I'm a Christian. They're just driving their car. Here's the story, though, behind this bumper sticker. This symbol was uh, invented in 2001 by a uh, Piotr Milosevic. He's Polish, and I don't know how to say it, so I'm just making that up, okay? <laughs> and, and he, um, I mean, nothing wrong with being Polish, but there's way too many syllables and not enough vowels, and I just can't get there from here. Okay, so um, it's like going to Hawaii. There's like four letters, and they're all out. Never mind. So, um, so he, he did this. He, he created this symbol and it was for a uh, museum. It's called the Museum on the Seam. It's in Jerusalem, and it was on a, uh, the topic was coexistence and, uh, and cooperation between warring factions. And the original version had the C as Islam, the Judaism star, and the Christian cross. None of the rest of them were in there. And um, here's the story since 2001 till now. It caught on because the band U2 used it in their worldwide tour. In fact, Bono had a headband on and he put this up there. So it got, all of a sudden it went from obscurity to all over the world being pushed by a, you know, a mega, mega rock band. And some people saw it and a small, a small t-shirt shop in Indiana decided to see if they could register the symbol as a trademark. The U.S. government said, sure, gave them a registration and they're selling them like crazy. Now here's the problem. The artist never agreed to it. The museum never agreed to it. Bono never got permission for it. And other people now are printing them and you see them all over. They're on t-shirts. And here's the deal. They're all in court. All of these coexist people are warring and suing each other (laughs) in court. That has nothing to do with the message, but when I found that out, I thought you would want to know. But I think that this, this, this symbol has migrated now from, um, from a social statement, an artist's social statement saying, get along, three, the three great world mono, monotheistic religions. It's moved from social to political to theological. Today, it's a theological statement about what we believe. And it's a theological statement that would also want to support the concept that there are lots of ways to get there. Now, listen, cautionary note. This is probably more for me than for you. But when you see one on a car, don't judge the person. Do not judge the person because you don't know what's in their heart. And my first result, my first resolve is always to look on the outside, just like the Bible says I'm going to do. It says we look right on the outside. God looks on the heart, but we look on the outside. Don't do that. Even though it's your nature to look on the outside and to a judge, I'm just asking you don't do that because you don't know what's in their heart. And the Lord has already told us how we're to feel. We're, we're, we're in the world, but not of the world. And this is an opportunity for you and me to um, get a heart check, but also to be praying for somebody. So um, listen, if you've got one on your car, I'm glad you're here. I mean it. Okay. I mean it. Okay. Okay, so this, this idea about lots of ways to get to heaven and that good people go to heaven, there's some attractive things about that concept. I'm going to give you about four of them. First off, it's a fair system. It seems fair because we are always taught that good things happen to good people. You do good as a child, you get 
Pastor Terry's perks. You do bad as a child, you get the rod. I mean, I mean, that worked for me at my house. It was that little triangle ruler, and I earned that many times as a little guy. And so good things happen when you're good, bad things happen. So it's, so it's fair. Second thing is that you'll make the cut. If you believe that good people go to heaven, it's good because you are going to make the cut. Because if I ask you, most of you will say, yeah, I'm a good person. So it, it, it's, a, it also, it's also good because it motivates us to be good. It nudges us to want to stay on the 51 percentile or whatever the percentile is. It motivates us to get on the side that we, that we think will land us in heaven. And it's consistent with the idea of a good God because it makes perfect sense. You know, you, 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 you buy into it just as a common sense. If God is good, he's going to want the good people with him and he's going to use his good book and his good word and he's going to get all the good people together in a good heaven. <sighs> but there are some major problems with this. If we just peek under the hood, we don't have to go very far. And I want to talk about that. Spend a little bit of time, and I'm just, I'm just going to take three significant problems about that philosophy, about believing that good people go to heaven. Pro- problem number one is that there are no clear standards of what's good or bad. You've got to have that so you can check your progress. I mean, what is good? I can decide what's good. I bet you your idea and my idea, we might be pretty close to each other, but we, might, we, we will eventually come to a place where there is a difference. You might think that something else is good because, frankly, I think it's good not to have ketchup on a piece of sirloin steak, okay? But I know people who think that that's good, okay? And so we differ. Now, that's pretty innocuous, but as we go down it, we're going to come to issues that are deeper, bigger. Second thing is that, that uh, you know, not knowing what is good, I think that God tells, uh, owes it to us. He owes it to us if he's good. He owes it to tell us what's expected. So, so this problem of there are no clear standards, God, God understands it. Now, in America, we tend to do this. We grab this. We go, well, yeah, I can tell you what's good and bad. I got a source. Here it is right there. So it says, love your... I'm playing with my wires because... Sorry, ignore that. It says, you know, it says, love your neighbor um, as yourself. Love your Lord. Try to be good. Be obedient. Cooperate. And I'm trying to live my life by the good book. But here's the problem. If you're trying to live your, live your life to this standard, never going to be this good. I'm never going to, I will never be this good. You will never be this good. If the people who accomplish this are the ones that are going to heaven, we're all in trouble. <laughs> we're just in trouble. So, you know, like, I, I think it's right for us to be raised with respect for the word, obviously. It's holy. It's God's work, word to us. And I'm just trying to do do best I can to keep that, and I'm trying to, to keep the commandments, and I think we need to do those things. We need to know them, and we need to do them. But it's so hard. But here's what the word itself says about my ability to do what I just described, to be good. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. All. All of us. I'm not telling you you're a sinner. I'm just telling you that's what the Bible says about you. Okay? I wouldn't say that you're sinners. I just would say that's what the Bible says about you. Romans 3.10 says this. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.20 says this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
The law here was never intended to become your instructions that you are to keep in order to have a relationship with God. The law here is to help you understand you can't. Doesn't mean you ignore all that stuff, by the way. I didn't just give you license to, you know, go carry on. So don't use this as the standard that, because you're just not that good. The standard here is way too high. We just can't get there. So if there's nothing here, what, what do we do? You know, here's another interesting thing. You go back and you look in Exodus and Deuteronomy where you find the Ten Commandments, just to pick the Ten Commandments because that's what people, you know, who don't go to church might identify with. You go to those books and you will not find in those books any reference to heaven. You won't find any reference in those books to eternity, to life after death. None of that's in there. Now, the word heaven appears, you've got to do your study here, and, heaven and, that, and, and where heaven appears there, it's like where birds fly. It's the atmosphere, but it's not the heaven you and I are talking about. The, the idea, the concept somehow, that if you keep these Ten Commandments, you will go to heaven, it doesn't say that in here. It's not in there anywhere. In fact, it's not anywhere in this book. No place. It's not even implied. Somehow we've picked it up. If you are attracted to the idea that good people go to heaven, and however you have factored this book into that equation, I'm telling you, take it out. Take factoring this book into that equation right out of your philosophy because it doesn't work. It backs you into an impossible corner. You can never get there from here. So the idea that good people all over the world are going to go to heaven is grand, but we actually have no earthly idea of what good is. So that's the first major problem. If, if, heaven, if good people go to heaven, we're in trouble. We also have this innate sense about what's good and bad, Right? You would agree? Can you trust it? I mean, here's the problem. I think the world is full of people who think they know what's good and they act upon it. And you know what? I'm not just talking about what happens at a high school football game where you know there's enough people that both sides have somebody on there praying, God, help us win. Right? I mean, I think God really cares about them and he cares about the outcome. But he loves the people on both sides praying the prayer. So what's good and what's, you know, this innate thing in us. People have, major, major wars have broken out over what people believe is good, about what people believe is right. And both sides on the war have really believed in it. You know, we can look backwards and we can see issues that have existed in our history. And it's really easy to pick on the past because we didn't participate in it. But we can see issues where whole wars were, were going on and people on both sides really believed God was on their side and that we would prevail. He would, they would, they would prevail. Nazi Germany. The people, many of the people in Germany really believed that the Jews were a problem and they persecuted them and they thought they were doing it for God. The Crusades. There are lots of examples. Um, In our own country, slavery. Slavery existed for a very long time and the people who who, who were slave owners believed they were doing the right thing and they cited scripture to support their position. And if you want to, you can dig in there and you can find examples of slavery and you can take them into context and suggest that what was going on in this country was, was God's will. And it never was. It's easy to look backwards. And there are always people who will use their own, their own internal gauge. Here's the problem with my own internal gauge. As much as I try to be righteous, what I think is good today is different than what I thought was good when I was 19. <laughs> <laughs> So the older I get, 
the more life experience I have, you know, there's, there's good things and bad things about that. Many of the things, though, that I thought were good and were fine when I was younger, now I think, oh, I can't believe that didn't kill me. You know what I'm talking about? And when you, it's a craft, it's a skill set to learn to be able to share wisdom with someone who is 19 and they absolutely know that they know. And bless their hearts, for their age, they do really well. We're surrounded by godly young people. But the truth is that as you age and as life experience happens and as wisdom comes to you, your perception about what's good changes. Okay, so we got this changing gauge within our own heart. We've got, we can't, if we were to decide in this room what's good, I could get with three of you and we couldn't agree on the simple things. We get to the big things. I mean, imagine the entire world saying, okay, good people go to heaven and good is determined by each person because that philosophy floats out there. It pervades, it's all over. Imagine if that's the standard. It's scary. People all over. If good people go to heaven is truly God's standard, he owes it to tell us what it is. Okay, second problem. I've spent enough time on that. Number two, we don't know how much goodness is enough. Do I need to get 50%? 50.001%? Is this going to be on the curve? Do I just have to climb on top of half the people to get to heaven? Maybe it's 70% because 70 is a C in school, right? Because maybe that's where that came from. I don't know. What is the percentage of good? Do I need to be 100% good? Because I know I'm not perfect. When does it start? Does it start at 6 or 7? Do we wait until 20? I mean, there's an old um, Jewish tradition. It was you become a man at 12. You gain knowledge at 20. You give responsibility at 30. You give authority at age 40. That's an ancient or that's an old Hebrew tradition. At what point is the age of accountability? When does a child know they're not doing what they're supposed to do? When does sin occur? When, at what age do we hold them accountable? I don't know. How much goodness is enough? If you believe that good people go to heaven, you've got to know where you stand with God. How will you know unless you can know how much goodness? You've got to know what's good and how much good you've got to do. It's pretty hard to know. The problem is that people make their best assessments and then they set their eternity on that, in, that, that decision and they really don't know. They really don't know. So we've got this system going. It's like this. You got a teacher, you show up for the first day of class, teacher says, okay, it's going to be one test at the end of the semester, it's going to be pass-fail, class dismissed. Somebody from the back row, um, wait a second, are you going to tell us the subject matter of the class? Nope. Are you, is there some notes we can read? Nope. Is there a person we can talk to that's been through the class before? Nope. You mean... You're not going to tell us anything about what to get there, but at the end it's pass-fail? Yep. <laughs> and my eternity rests on it? Yep. Sound pretty? Okay. Or, or you've got this employer. You get, you get hired for a new job. You've got an idea of what the company does, but you don't know what your job's going to be. And your boss says to you, okay, in six months, you're on probation. In six months, we'll meet and decide whether you get to keep your job. See ya. But what do I do? No answer. Do I... What am I supposed to be doing? No answer. But in six months, we're going to have a test, and if you don't pass, you're out of here. You're fired. You lose your job. Or how about this? I'll give you one more example because I'm having fun with these examples, huh? <laughs> you're going to be in a race. 
and you line up at the starting line, and the starter comes up. Thing is that they haven't told you where you're racing to. You don't know where the, where the finish line, you don't know the course. And so you ask, and they say, well, we don't know when I get to the finish line. They say, well, we'll tell you when you're there. Well, we don't know how to get there. Well, we'll tell you when you get there. Bang, off goes the gun. And all the people in the starting line just start running, and they're all going different directions, and it's chaos. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Because you have no idea how much good is good enough. A teacher that won't tell you what's expected of you and how much, that's not a fair teacher. That's not a just teacher. An employer who would hire you and say, in six months I'm coming back, it's past fail, I'm not going to give you any clue about where you're going. That's not just, that's not fair. A, a starter who would say, start the race and not tell you where you're fitting, you know, that's just not just, it's not fair. You know, to believe that good people go to heaven, that philosophy breaks down at just the slightest, simplest analysis like we're doing here. It just breaks down. It doesn't work. If good people go to heaven, we're all in a lot of trouble because nobody knows where we stand. None of us. And if you decide to go here for your answers, back up because nobody is this good. Nobody. Scripture tells us that and we know it from personal experience. Nobody's this good. Okay, problem three. Now, this is the biggest problem. If those two weren't enough, but this one's the biggest one. If good people go to heaven is true, that makes a liar out of Jesus Christ. Makes a liar out of him. I've never been able, by the way, to get somebody to say Jesus is a liar. What you'll have is, you know, you'll, you'll get into these discussions. Do you get into these? Maybe you don't get into these discussions. <laughs> but, but they'll say, oh, I don't think he said that. I mean, come on. Just say you think he's a liar, but I mean, or you just don't want to face it. But, but this would make Jesus a liar. He taught exactly the opposite. Jesus taught that bad people go to heaven. <laughs> wow. There were these people <laughs> who said sweet. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I love my crew, my crowd here. Um, there were this group of people whose job was, was to be good. They wore the right clothes. They washed their hands in the ceremonial correct way. They did the correct practices. They, had each, you know, they, they did everything perfect. The Sadducees and the Pharisees and the workers. And the, I mean, they, they did everything right. And their attempt was to be as good as they could be or under the law. And they really, really tried. And they were really, really pretty good at it, of doing the things on the list. In fact, Part of their responsibilities was to be so good because they knew, scriptures told them that the Messiah was coming, the chosen one was coming. And if they were really good, they would be so in sync with God that when the Messiah showed up on the scene, they'd know who he was. That was the deal. So there's these really, really good people. And here's what Jesus said. Matthew 5, verse 20, he says, he's talking to a group of people. He says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now here were the goodest people there were, and nobody was gooder than they were. And Jesus says, you gotta get, you gotta get, you gotta top that. Because that's not enough. In fact, he went around and he found the most unholy, broken people. I've been with seven different men. You're forgiven. I've this, I've that. You're forgiven. He found the most broken, hurting, 
wounded, unholy people. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Over and over and over. He taught that the best of the best weren't making it. And the worst of the worst were forgiven. Jesus didn't believe that good people go to heaven. He taught that forgiven people go to heaven. Finally, we get to crack open the Word of God, Luke chapter 23. It's a wonderful story. I've, I've been, um, maybe what I was thinking about that song, Sweetly Broken, was because I've been spending time reading about the uh, Passion Week. And um, actually, in preparation to teach on Easter, and I want to tell you right now that I'm going to be very gentle but very direct with people. They're going to hear a salvation message on Easter. So please be thinking about bringing families and friends here on Easter. Um, I don't think we have our schedule yet, but we will for sure do at least two services. And um, um, so you can trust me. I will not embarrass you or humiliate you or them, but they will hear the good news in a loving way as best as I can. Anyway, I'm preparing for that, and I'm excited. Easter's a ways off. Luke 23, starting in verse 32. Jesus, by the way, at this point, is now headed for the hill. And um, a lot's happened to him, and he's moments away from being hung on the cross. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be ex- executed with him. The word criminals here is not, is not a common word you'll find in the scriptures. You will find it in other uh, Greek, Greek literature of the day, and it's, it's, it can be translated like we would translate the word pirate. Not like, oh, fun, pirates of the Caribbean kind of pirates, but the worst criminals there were kind of people. The worst thing you could do um, in the Roman was to um, be against the government and they would just take care of you like that. The second thing was what these guys were getting. They were like the worst of the worst criminals that you could find. The worst of the worst. They were, uh, oh, they were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right hand and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if, he can, if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened to the cross above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Now here's this guy's, you know, he's on his way to death's door. He's there now. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. He said, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. (laughs) This guy knew where he was. He knew about his need. He knew, sweetly broken. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I'm sorry, you weren't good enough? Oh, Jesus replied, did you keep the Ten Commandments? No. Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Awesome. Man, that's awesome. Hmm. Christianity is not about what you and I do. It's about what's already been done, what's already been accomplished. It teaches that forgiven people go to heaven. And the way we are to get forgiven 
is to throw ourselves in the mercy of the only one pure enough, the only one holy enough, the only one loving enough to take the price for what we pay, what, what, what we deserve to be paid. And Jesus looked at that man, and what he said was, that's all I'm looking for. You are forgiven. Oh, I'm so glad this is not the standard. Jesus said, oh, that's all I was looking for. You're forgiven. What could be more merciful and just? What could be fairer than that? Christianity is absolutely, I think, it's the most fair system possible in an unfair world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just mention next week, I'm going to talk about what about people who've never heard the gospel and the unfairness of Christianity. And it is. I'm going to talk, that's going to be next week's message, so I'll let you know right now. Two tough questions, and I'm planning to just put my head down and run headlong into them. That'll be fun to see if I come out the other side. Because you're going with me, right? The most fair system in an impossibly unfair world. Here's three reasons why it's the fairest system. First off, everybody's welcome. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the second reason. Everybody gets in the same way. John 14, 16, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And third, everyone can meet the requirements. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Um, let's talk about depending on God. I'm going to come to a close here because I'm not yet, Eric. I'm safe for now. I'm gonna come, I've gone a little bit long here because we did some extra stuff at the beginning. Forgive me, I'll get you out the door in a minute. Okay. I want you to, to look at this and figure out if you think I'm depending on God. Jesus, love you. Thanks. That is that, I don't know if that's depending on God or not. How, how about this one? I'm going to tell everybody I can about you. I'm going to do the things that you showed me to do. Is that depending on God? Or is this? I'm going to do that thing from the Olympics now. Where are the Russian judges, by the way? Huh? The dismount? I'm coming that way. Okay, so here's the thing. So goes this stool, so go I. I am completely trusting this stool here. It's a well-built stool. It held up that little girl. It should be fine for me, right? It's good to look at what our posture is concerning the one that we say we are really resting upon. putting all of our trust. My salvation is all right here. It's right there in that. My, my trust in salvation has nothing to do with how many of these things, and I try to do as much as I can. So do you, and it's good to be righteous. It's good to be, to be the things the Lord shows us by example here. But my salvation doesn't rest in that. It rests in the one who had already done it. Forgiveness is found by placing our trust in, in, me, in the hands and in the heart of the one who's willing to pay the price. Awesome. It is really awesome. I want to pray for you, and I know that...
Um, probably most all of you have already opened your heart to the Lord, probably if not all of you, but would you close your eyes? I'm gonna give opportunity. If you have never in your adult life come to the place where you said, I don't think I want eternity to rest upon my ability to be good. I don't want to depend upon my own internal standards, my own internal list of what's right and righteous. Instead, I want to depend on his mercy. I want to throw myself at his feet. I want to depend on his plans. I need him to remember me when he comes into his kingdom. Now's the time. And so I just would just take a minute and say to you, if you've never opened your heart to the Lord, do it right this moment. Right this moment. And if you want to do that, would you look at me and just let me agree with you? While, while you have privacy, the rooms, people have their eyes closed. Just wave at me so I can agree with you. Is that why you're looking at me? Hmm? You want to open your heart to the Lord? Okay. Lord, I want to thank you, God, for the testimony of life. I, want to just pr- I just want to thank you, God, for giving us truth today regarding the concepts that good people go to heaven, heaven because even though we may not hold to it in this room, we will go out these doors and immediately encounter people who live that way and believe that way. I pray, Lord, that you would put down into our souls the capability to to love people into the kingdom, to love them because we understand them, but also, God, to be able to lead them with wisdom. Lord, we we rest right now on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and say, God, that when we encounter people, that, Lord, you would begin to um, to cause the very scriptures we've heard to well to our hearts and that combining with love, heaven-directed love, we might be able to lead people in ways everlasting. I pray, Lord, that, that our, especially this week, I ask God that as we go this week into our workplaces, our schools, basic training, wherever we are going, that, God, you would grant to us supernatural opportunity. And with just a little bit of faith, we will, we will work with you, God, and see you do the miraculous thing. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.